Hey everyone, Dave Broadback here. This is the uh, audio for a lecture uh, in Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It used to be called Design and Analysis 1, but we didn't think that name was scary enough. Also check out the uh, YouTube uh, videos of uh, these uh, lectures. I guess I've now just committed myself to doing the YouTube videos. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel and you can find them there. Or also at my blog, people.ac.ca slash broadback slash blog. If you like statistics, I hope you're going to love this. Okay, so correlation simple regression. Everything we've dealt with so far uh, is we're talking about looking at differences between means. Really good differences. Right? That's that's T tests, Z tests, analysis variance. They've all been the same way. You can actually look at this from a somewhat different angle, which is that it's a relationship between independent and dependent variables, right? The independent variable, what you, what you vary, dependent variable, what you measure. You can look at it as a relationship between those two. Now, sometimes that relationship, sometimes the independent variable is actually a quantitative thing, right? Like if it was a retention interval, which I've used quite a bit, it will have so many hours in it, or so many minutes in it, or whatever. And we can then look and see that, for example, as time goes by, memory, a uh, number of words we call drops. So you're talking about a relationship there between independent and independent variables. And this can also be true of qualitative variables. Right? Male, female. Right? This could be true of, or, 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 I don't know, psychology students and biology students, or whatever. Right? So a psychology student uses more of a student than a biology student. Like you, it's not quantitative. You can't say anything about a number there. You can just say they're in two different categories. So you use categorical variables too. But you still say there's a relationship between major and uh, what are we better at than that? Everything. Uh, gee, they almost, I think they almost learn as much stats as you guys do now. Because I would normally say statistics. Usually psychology students, no matter where they are, are the best trained people in statistics other than people taking statistics as majors, which we don't have here. Oh, I don't know. Oh, and that survey construction, which is something I don't think they use very often. And while you may not have a great deal of training, maybe you have more than they But, okay, so we're better at that. And they're better at, I don't know what, naming plants. That's part of the data. That's mostly with biology. It's just naming plants. So geography is just coloring. Right? That's what geography is, pretty much. It's just coloring maps. It's colored pencils. You have to make sure you have the Laurentian colored pencils. I say that to William Osai constantly, by the way. So you cut and paste into the name class? Coloring? No, 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 thank you. My impression of William Osai. Apparently, it's not good enough to... Some of these are jokes, guys. I know it's late in the term. Um, so, again, you can look at this relationship between the independent and dependent variable. This is easy to see. That's the difference. So when I say psychology, biology students, it's hard to put something on the x-axis that's meaningful because moving over to the right doesn't mean you have more of something. But with a continuous variable or a, or a continuous or, or, or a discrete uh, uh, a quantitative variable has a lot of levels, it's pretty easy to see something. So if we looked at something like a scatter plot, which is something that's great for exploratory data analysis, and we looked at, we call, let's, I, this is, I, if only this were true, 
It is to a point, by the way. Your IQ score uh, and your 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 salary actually uh, do correlate quite highly, not that tightly. I think when I made this, I just put in a bunch of numbers and then I told my spreadsheet program to make a graph. So, and obviously, it's not that kind of correlation. That's like about a 0.8 correlation at least, and it's not, there's no way it's that high. It's about 0.5, which is pretty high. So, okay, that's IQ. It's not really, it's, it's, not, yeah, it's not that tight. You, You'd see a positive relationship, but it wouldn't be so tightly packed. Okay. Move that over. So, and the scatter plot itself is a use, useful EDA tool, right? To work our analysis. You just look at that, see a relationship. Like, you can look at this, everybody can see this, one goes up, the other one goes up. It's really easy to see. Right? We need a way though to standardize the variable relationships and to see if they have, uh, even if they have different scales. And of course, IQ is, I don't know, it's IQ points. <laughs> and this we'll say is that income is thousands of dollars per year. So they're, they're measuring two entirely different things, but we want to be able to say there's a relationship between one and the other. We want to be able to say that your IQ, if it's measured by the race or the race of progressive agency scale, oh, and your income, if it's measured in Canadian dollars or euros, it doesn't matter. We want a way to be able to say this, and we get the same number at the end. Okay? That's what we want. So even if they have different scales, and they almost always do. Okay. What we start with is something called covariance. Um, the covariance of x and y, that's how much variance two things share, how much two variables covary. And at first you look at that and go, what the hell? But think about this. This is kind of, think about what a variance looks like normally. It would be the sum of x minus x bar squared over n, n minus 1. It's variance, yes? Okay, so that's what variance is. Covariance just has the x minus the x bar and then y minus y bar. So if you're so far off from x bar, how far off are you from y bar? It's how much two things come together and which they covariate. So it does look a lot like a variance formula, doesn't it? It just appears this is a covariance. Okay? This is a covariance of x and y, not the variance of x or the variance of y. So it's not an incredibly complicated formula because it looks a lot, it's basically a variance that's using two variables. And this is measured to the degree to which two variables vary together, how much they co vary. If deviations from x bar and y bar go in the same direction, you get a positive covariance. You can also get a negative covariance. This is the difference between a covariance and just a plain old variance. Variance is always going to be positive because it's a squared quantity. 
This has two numbers multiplied times each other, except one could go one way and one could go the other. What's something where one goes up, the other one goes down? You think of a variable where it's one goes up, the other one goes down. Uh, let's see. Hmm. I bet if we looked at latitude and population density in Canada. Yeah. As the latitude goes up, the population density goes down, doesn't it? Right? There's parts of the Northwest Territories where people just go, I'm not going to live there. Why would I live there? No one wants to live there. There's the odd little community, that's what it. There's that Canadian Forces Station at Alert. Have you ever seen that place? It's the furthest north anywhere it is. I knew somebody who worked there, and it was the only Canadian government building where you had to smoke inside. They said, because if you smoked outside, because what happened with, with uh, gasoline with whatever leak, it just sat in the snow and never evaporated, you could just light the snow on fire from all the vehicles. I don't think you probably just smoke at all there Okay, there's places like that, but for the most part, population density is really small. So, if you're, and what's, if the average, if you're below the average latitude, this is going to be negative. Above the average population density, it's going to be positive, and then we end up with a, a quantity that's negative. On the other hand, we think it's very easy to think of things there as one goes up, if it goes up height and <coughs> Right? Usually the taller you are, the more you weigh. Right? I remember we're summing all these. So sometimes we're going to get strange cases. Sometimes there are going to be people who are seven feet tall. Not very many, but there are going to be some. And they weigh 180 pounds. There's not very many of those guys. Right? If you think about North America. By the way, in North America, if you are over seven feet tall, there's a... 16% chance you'd actually play in the NBA. That's how few people there are that were over 7 feet tall. But I can think of one guy who used to play in the NBA who was from Somalia. He was 7 foot 10. I mean, Manute Bull. And when he came to the States to play college basketball, when he was recruited, he weighed 160 pounds and he was 7 feet foot 10. Now, he just drank milkshakes like all the time to gain weight. He eventually played the pros. Holds all kinds of records of a shot block because people take shots and then no, I don't think so. No, I got that. Oh no, he didn't have to stay. He didn't have to jump to dunk. And he was a really sweet man. He did all kinds of things for Somali. Died recently. It's really sad. Actually. But he would be a case. You go. Well, his his average weight is low for his height. But most of the time, when you're seven feet tall, you also even if you're all muscle, you might weigh two eighty. Right. So on average, you can end up with a positive number for covariance that is. At some point, look up a new bull. It's spelled just like it sounds. B-O-L is how you spell last name. It's crazy. Watching him play, because it looked like he was just so thin. Even though he was a fit guy, he was too thin. Like he's still weighing a little bit more weight. He was like, you know. He got good at three-point shooting, which is kind of great. You sort of think he's a big guy at three-point range, but there you go. No, he wasn't quite that tall. It was close. 
So we want a measure that isn't just covariance. We want what's called a measure of association. We have to standardize covariance because think about it. If we were measuring height and weight and we leave that height in centimeters rather than say inches, but I was using inches because most of us still, even though this has been a metric country since 1974, anybody hear another height in centimeters? You actually know it? Okay, one, two. In your driver's license or are you in the RV? Okay. The only people usually know it are people that they've looked at their driver's license recently or they're in the military. That's who knows and what they weigh in kilos. I don't know. I'm just confused. They changed our, our system when I was in grade four. So I was learning feet and inches and pounds and all that stuff. And they went, that's all bullshit. Okay, centimeters and kilograms. I'm like, I don't know. So I'm just confused. People at my age are just confused generally. Temperature outside, Celsius. The temperature of my, my sister's pool, which is a long story as I grew up in, that's not fair. I don't know why. Very, very confusing. Distances in meters and centimeters, except if I'm doing something like, you know, measuring something. Then I'll say, you know, okay, that's uh, six and five eighths. I don't know how many centimeters that is. But if we get it in centimeters, the number's going to be bigger because it's about differences from a mean, and just the numbers are, there's, there's more demarcations in centimeters. We want something where it doesn't matter if it's in centimeters or if it's in inches or if the weight is in pounds or kilos or stone, as they use over in the UK. How, how much do you weigh? Oh, three stone. I don't even know what that is. That's not much, right? Because stone is 14 pounds. So if you weigh three stone, you're pretty thin, or you're a small child. I weigh three stone. That's my British kid who weighs three stone impression. I weigh three stone. Go down to the top. So covariance is going to depend upon the variance. It depends on s sub x and s sub y. Let's divide by s sub x and s sub y. Right? That's what it's standardizing. That's the way. So if we have this measure in pounds or kilos or whatever, we can say, doesn't matter. We get a number. So that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, and we, it's got a name. It's uh, the Pearson R. The Pearson product moment correlation coefficient is, I believe, the technical term. So we take the covariance of x and y, and we divide by s sub x times s sub y. Same after former Canadian Prime Minister Lester Pearson. <laughs> oh, is it? Just made that up. Um, named after a guy named Pearson who figured it out. It was not Lester Pearson. Too bad it wasn't. That'd be great. On the side, one Nobel Peace Prize for inventing UN peacekeeping, Prime Minister of Canada, the Liberal Party in the 1960s. Oh, and also invented a statistical procedure. Too bad that's not true. But tell people that. So if the covariance. The actual value of the covariance of x and y equals the standard deviation of x times standard deviation of y, then r, the absolute value of r, equals 1. And you have, why well, there's two a's there, I don't know. We've been watching a lot of Norwegian television lately. Maybe that's why. It's got subtitles, so. It's a great show, Occupy. On Netflix, oh, baby, what a show. It'll be a perfect relationship. So your height in inches and your height in centimeters. It's going to be it's a straight line. 
you know, the covariance of whatever, and your the multiplication of the variance of the two is going to be the same. It's going to be one. Yeah. So how much they covary? If it's the same as how much two variances multiply together, that means they're both measuring this exactly the same thing. Right? Those of you who've taken neuropharmacology know that the closest thing we might come to this in sort of psychology is the effective dose of 50, the ED50 for uh, antipsychotics and their D2 receptor binding efficiency. It's pretty much a 1.0 relationship. The only piece of data I can think of offhand. The sign, though, the sign being buried, seems these two standard deviations are going to be positive, both of them. So a positive number here. Can't have a negative number here. The signs only get indicate the direction. Positive, negative. Right? Positive is it's going uphill, negative you're going downhill. That's all that says. So when I ask you which correlation is bigger, I've used this on in the stat 2126 quiz. Back when I, last time I taught that was a long time ago. But it's 2009 maybe. Uh, you know, if you had, I think the question goes Kenny, because I always need people Kenny in my questions. Kenny found, calculated three correlations. He found negative 0.7, positive 0.4, and 1.2. Which one's bigger? And the answer is negative 0.7, because 1.2 is in a correlation. It can't be bigger than 1. And the sign doesn't matter, it just tells you direction. So negative 0.7 is a bit higher correlation, tighter relationship than positive 0.4. The, the, the sign just tells you the direction, that's all it does. R can only be between negative 1 and positive 1. It can't be greater than one. If it's greater than one, you did it wrong. It's literally, look at the formula. It's impossible for that to happen. This quantity, the covariance, how much two variables vary together, can't be more than how much two variables could vary together if they all vary. No, it's impossible. Can't be done. It just can't be. You made a mistake. Now, frankly, no one calculates this stuff by hand. So if, you, if, if this comes up, you've, if you use Excel or, or any other hoops, spreadsheets, uh, numbers, a Mac program, it doesn't matter what, you can do a correlation coefficient really easily. Right? If somehow it comes up to a number greater than one, it won't. It'll just say error. You made some kind of mistake, you know, whatever. If somehow, if you were doing it by hand, maybe you have 10 numbers and you just feel like doing it yourself because you're, I don't know, a freak. Um, you did it. You know how easy this is to do in SPSS? I'm not even going to show you. Two columns of numbers. Pick correlation and see what the two variables are. Done. You can do that, but you also do Excel. Select the two things and say equal. Set the cell equals correl. Open bracket. One data. Uh, one column. Column other thing. Other column, close bracket. Equal energy, there it is. That's how I know your correlations of what your test marks are, because I always report those things. So it can't be greater than one, it can't be less than negative. 
But remember, the, the, the sign only indicates the direction of the relationship. Oh, it's also straight lines only. I, I mean, it's there's no you can't. Like here's a great. Here we go. And let's say we have, oh, you know what? Think about a dose response curve in, in, in uh, uh, pharmacology. Low dose, not much effect, and then low dose, and then right in the middle, you get sort of a sweet spot, like that, and like that. And we get something that looks like this. So that, if we could draw a line, it was perfect like that. You know, upside down parabola. You know what the R is for that? It's zero. It's zero. There is, except that there is a nice relationship there. It's a perfectly beautiful relationship, except it's one that R can't measure. R needs straight lines. It only works for linear relationships. Not curves. Okay. So there's a lot of things in. Uh, Psychology generally, like the theory is awesome, right? You have uh, arousal and how well you do on some task. Mid level arousal is good, too low. You're asleep too much, you have a panic attack. Somewhere in the middle of this. Right? You couldn't. There are ways to analyze data like that. There are correlation coefficients that they use R, so they're exactly the same, except they uh, don't. This thing assumes a straight line. One of, the very, one of the assumptions of the math here is a straight line. That, so instead, we assume a parabola, let's say, and go from there. That's easy to do. It's totally doable. Okay. So it's got to be a straight line. It's got to be a straight line. We should be able to predict y from x. So... If we have your x, we should be able to say, what's your y supposed to be? Right? And this is one of those things. Uh, you guys have kids? No? Because when you take your baby in the first few times, the doctor, you go like every month when first born, and they weigh the kid, and then they measure the length can't really say height yet because they're not standing, there's the long. So, and they say, okay, the weight looks good. And they look it up on a chart. And in fact, what they've done is they're predicting the weight from the height. And if it's too low, if it doesn't work, they have an equation. And, well, you should probably, I don't know, give the kids some butter. That's probably what they say. Apparently, my mom was too thin. This is, of course, 1946. So the doctor said, uh, I don't know, give her some uh, condensed milk. I love the 40s. Probably a cigarette going when he was talking. I'm sure, I'm sure my grandmother did too. But uh... guys, we can predict what next. Obviously, we can, or those doctors could do that, or just be making stuff up. It's like, well, I don't know, kid looks fat. I mean, <laughs> what a skinny, scrawny little kid you got. Did I give him, uh, I don't know, milkshakes. Is the bottle? That would be good. Kids, fat. Give me some amphetamine. 
<laughs> so, yeah, it's the 40s. It's, it's, it's my doctor in the 40s prescribing amphetamines to children in depression. Rarely used. Never, I just pulled that out right there. Never used again. I'm not funny. So, we're just drawing the line through a scatter plot. So, yeah, we can do that. Sure. Okay, so, uh, scatter plot. What are doing here? Take the scatter plot here. Here we go. RSVP again. Okay. So here's some lines. Or dots, rather. <laughs> lines? Okay, those are, those are good. Okay. So, uh, let's see if we can draw a line. Looks... That looks pretty good. Sure. Uh, that looks good. It's hard to choose between those two, actually. Those are both pretty good. Uh, that was good. What about now? Some are going to be really lousy. Like we all know, it seems to go up, right? So this one would be no good. You could draw that line and say that's a stupid line. It's exactly the opposite. Stupid line. Your lines are stupid because it's going exactly the wrong way. Because it looks like as one goes up, one goes up, and look what happened over the negative slope. That's dumb. Or we could. uh, There's another line we could draw. I don't know. Bust? Also stupid. It's saying there's no relationship. We see a relationship. We can, we can draw this one. Just connect the dots. <laughs> but now you're doing what's called exhausting the degrees of freedom. What you're doing there, in fact, it's a perfect prediction, but it's a useless prediction because I need all the data to make a prediction. <laughs> That's a useless line. So, well, probably one of those ones one of those first three that I drew before I got ridiculous now, is probably the best one. Question is, how do we do that? So we have to draw a line through a scatter plot. It's going to do a nice job predicting. We want it to kind of over-predict as much as it under-predicts. Okay. So this is what's called the least squares regression rule. Squares regression. It's a way to pick a line that we can all agree how we've done it. That's all that's happened here. So it looks like this. So here are four dots, four data points, and here's a, a line. We've got these are actual y's. These are correct, by the way. Y hat, as this is called. It's called y hat. Which is really weird. It's like it's got a little hat. It looks like a circumflex to me. I keep wondering, I wanted to ask friends of mine who teach stats and also speak French if they call it Y chapeau, chapeau, or they call it Y circumflex. I kind of hope it's that. I actually kind of hope it's avec un chapeau. Y avec le truc, no? Something like that, like we're sort of a Quebecer way to go. I just call it Y hat. Or maybe just Y hat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's not a Y hat, no? Like, they, they, no, they're not doing that. That wouldn't work. As you can tell, I don't speak Korean French, I speak Quebecer French. So much for that. That's what I learned. I speak impeccable hockey French as well. So why hat? Black shuffle. It's wrong, because these are right. The Y's are right. 
These are errors. These are prediction errors, right? This is underpredicted. These two on the top, and these are overpredicted. But you see what it's doing? It's overpredicting as much as it's underpredicting. <coughs> I've got to remember to ask Sylvain. I've got a buddy, Sylvain, uh, who, who teaches at University uh, of Brunswick at Edmiston, and he's, uh, I see it every week at his conference. I always forget. I can email him. I must be looking at it right now, but I'm not going to get it right um, I will today. Someone remind me. The overprediction, underprediction, when it overpredict as much as it underpredicts. So what we do is we minimize these differences. We've got to come up with a line that makes those prediction errors as small as possible. Okay? So we want to minimize the sum of y minus y hat squared. We're minimizing our sum of squares. So and you guys remember this. You may not remember how to do minima and maxima functions because it's been a long time. But you probably remember that wasn't that hard to do. Right? It was one of those things that's like, what's the minimum? What's the maximum? Mathematically, it's not a complicated thing. You probably did it for grade 9 or grade 10. Maybe even before that. Right? So it's something you know that you remember. You might not remember how to do it, but you can say, oh, yeah, it's certainly doable. Right? So we're going to minimize the sum of the y minus y hats. In other words, we want to minimize the prediction errors. Or what are called residuals. So we want to, we end up with what's called the prediction equation or a regression equation. That's y hat equals a plus bx. Y hat is the predicted y. A is the intercept, and b is the slope. And I say, Dave, I was taught that y equals mx plus b, and m was the inter, uh, was the slope to b. I know. But I, I don't start with, don't blame me. A is the intercept, b is the slope. So you end up with this. I'll show you in a second how to calculate it. Again, this is something that's so easy to do with something like SPSS. You just choose regression and say what your independent variable is and your dependent variable, and it'll just give you a regression equation. And it happens instantaneously. Oh, well, almost instantaneously. Okay? Not so bad. And as annoying as it is that now, because you all learn y equals mx plus, they still teach that, right? Y equals mx plus b, where they talk about linear functions. Yeah. Well. Go back in time and tell your grade 11 math teacher that he screwed up. No, he didn't. That's how they do it. Remember that this isn't math, it's statistics. Y equals A plus BX. A is the intercept. B is the slope. Slope to 1. So B is going to have a sine, negative or positive. And it's a coefficient, right? Because it's multiplied times a variable. X is a variable. Oh, if you want to calculate here, here's how you do it. No one does this by hand. This is done by hand if someone's being mean and they're running out of ideas about how to give you assignments in an intro stats class. That's, that's when you do these by hand. In other words, that's exactly what I think was happening when I was in second year stats. Just why did you do this by hand? It's ridiculous. Still, it's not that bad. Covariance of x and y divided by the variance of x. That gives you d. And your slope is y bar minus b times x bar. So you see, once you find b, it's easy to find that. 
and this is where you see the covariance divided by the variance of x, this is where you're going to get the, the, the sign in there, positive and negative, right? You know, it's not something you, like I said, no one calculates this by hand, but if you want to figure it out, there it is. The question is how do we interpret this? That's the important thing. Because you end up with an equation. So it's something like this. So we have y hat equals a plus bx. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could predict someone's salary, right? At as a professor at Alabama University, based on how many years they've taught here, right? In fact, that's how our sal—that's how our salaries are calculated. Okay. So it's the number of years, which varies from person to person. Oh, it looks like X times some constant. I'm simplifying it a little bit, but it's basically this. So let's say it's about, and we'll leave this in thousands, 3.5 times x plus, now there's a base salary. When you start, you're not paid zero. It's not like you have to work for free. It felt like that for years, believe me. When I started here, I was, my salary started with a three. And it didn't have six figures. <laughs> let's put it that way. That was 1996, a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, $3. That's what, it was, that's what it felt like. My family subsisted on nothing but gruel. I mean, I had drinking money, but... Yeah, but family money's different. So, I don't know. Base salary, assistant professor, is about... Probably that. Yeah. I don't actually know because that's not my, I'm not I'm just a professor, I'm a social professor, but it's something, it's close to that. So then you can look at that and say, okay, what would someone make if they have taught here for 10 years? Yeah, so this isn't actually totally accurate. But if we did 70 plus 3.5 times 10, it would be 100 and right? So 105,000. That may not be that, that far off, actually. So you see, the, the, the idea of what this equation is, is just, it's, whereas it's not a regression equation with, with our salary scale, because there are people that vary from it, you're on the line. So if you're not on the line, someone in HR made a giant mistake. Right? Happened to me once in Newfoundland. I was like, you're, you're underpaying me. And we're not, yes, you are. I can do arithmetic. Yes, you are. It took four months. And they found oh, sorry, we've been underpaying you. I know. I told you. Can I have the money you owe me in the interest, please? Boom, you got much. I don't care. It's a principal thing. I want the interest. So I got the interest too. It's like eight bucks or something. It's really nothing. So it's that kind of thing. It's the same thing that the doctor is doing when looking at your babies and then looking at a chart. Yeah? Sit a little bit there. Horrible. 
spit some coffee. It's gross. Anyway, I'm glad people on YouTube, you didn't see that. It's too bad because it was really something. Okay. So, A, the intercept is where X equals zero. It's not really that meaningful. In this case, it is meaningful. In this case, it is meaningful. When someone comes here and it's, that's roughly correct. I don't actually know. Because that's not, as I said, that's not the salary scale I'm paid on. But when someone starts, if they have no experience, zero years of previous experience, they get the base salary. So in this case, with a salary calculation, it's actually meaningful. It's actually meaningful. Right. However, if we were calculating, if we were looking at weight and height, Right, so we're predicting weight from height. So y is weight, x is height. So it says here, if you weighed absolutely nothing, you'd be three inches low. Well, no, that's ridiculous. So you can't really interpret it in that case. That's obviously the weight of your soul. The height of your soul. Your soul is three inches tall. Wasn't meant to offend anyone. The most things I say aren't meant to offend people. I offend people constantly. Nonetheless, that would be a completely meaningless intercept, right? Most of the time, in fact, the intercept is meaningless. It's meaningful in the weird case that I've got here, the example of let's say how you calculate uh, someone's salary. So you actually could literally go into the collective agreement, which is a public document, and you can see a thing, and then you can say how much money does you can figure out all if you know how long we've been here, you can tell how much we all money we all make. Very exciting, isn't it? I don't care. Some people are who should tell people that well, it's a public document. So it has to be a linear relationship. This again, the salary scale thing is a linear relationship. As you go up, it goes up by a certain amount. It doesn't say once you hit 10 years, you get extra. It doesn't work out. Once you get promoted, you get extra. Then you go into a whole new intercept and a whole new slope. So it's linear relationships only, only straight lines. So the height and the weight thing tend to be straight lines, and if you look at if we did a scatter plot, just even of all of us in the room, we would find pretty much a straight line. It's not going to be curved in any weird way. Right. This is, shows the importance of exploratory data analysis. So a lot of times, and this happens to psychologists all the time, they do correlational work, and they pump out a correlation, excuse me, coefficient, and they don't look closely enough at the scatter plot to realize, in fact, hey, it's not quite a straight line. So you should be a little careful about that. One of the ways you can find out is you can look at the residuals. You can also look at the scatter plot, but you can look at the residuals. What you can do is plot the prediction errors. And that's an easy thing to do again um, when you're doing regression in something like SPSS. You can just say, I want to see residual plots. The residuals, if I was to do a plot of residuals, call them E. E for error. And then X on this axis here, and this is zero. They should look like this. They should be 
There should be no relationship between X and E. In other words, as X gets bigger, the prediction errors don't get bigger, or they don't get smaller. There should be no relationship. Or they shouldn't be like curvilinear or something like that. Anybody think, why the hell would you do that when you can just look at the scatter plot? Good point. But next time, we're going to talk about not only having one X variable, we're going to have lots of X variables. It's going to be multidimensional, not just two. In that case, it gets a little hard to look at a scatter plot. You know, what's a scatter plot look like in four dimensions? <laughs> Dude, mind blown. Right? That's hard to do. I don't even know how you. The paper goes to a parallel universe. It comes back, and it's evil. You know it's evil because it has a beard. Apparently, there was Star Trek. Anybody? Spock? Nobody? Mirror, mirror episode? No? No? Okay. Sadly. And Joey is obviously evil because he has a beard. I mean, that's, I think we all know that. Uh, in the parallel universe, though, he is, he doesn't have a beard. Well, the writer apparently's got a beard. See? You ever watched Riker, how he gets on chairs? Have you ever seen those videos? He kind of steps over those. Steps over chairs. He gets on the chairs like that. That's how he sits down. And now that I've shown you that, said that to you, next time you watch Star Trek Next Generation, you're going to notice it, and it takes you right out of the show, because he does it all the time. There are videos on YouTube, just type in right her chair, and you can see it's the weirdest thing. It's got something else, he has a bad back, and he's like six foot four or something. So he just, that's how he gets on chairs. Gets on chairs, also sits on them. I think the detective term is sitting on a chair, like getting on it. Near the end of the term, I am losing the will to live. I don't know you guys, I just... So you look at the residuals, it's totally useful to do that. Again, right now with two variables, you probably wouldn't just look at the scatter plot. But once we get more than two variables in there, you're going to want The covariance of, of residuals and the residuals and the x should be zero. I and mean, that's what that is here. There's no relationship. So you can actually calculate that if you want. One of the things you can't do, and it's very tempting to do this, because what this gives you when you actually make one of these regression equations is it says something equals something. It's telling you this is this. It's mathematical. So you're very tempted to go, well, that means then. Obviously, if someone worked at the university for 200 years, why, they'd make millions. Well, you can't do that, right? Um... A friend of mine, Todd, I've heard of Todd before, but a few times, and Todd, one of the things that he did when he was in grad school is he, he was trying to predict how many cigarettes people smoked per day. Okay? Um, and he did it using regression and a questionnaire. It was pretty cool stuff. But he... When you come up with a regression equation, you can't say, okay, cigarettes per day equals, and it's not this simple. It's a little more common. It's actually four variables. But if it said... So, something plus something times the maximum number of cigarettes and so on. Can't look at that and go, well, I see. Or even better, let's say it's age. This is no smoker, so it's age. How many cigarettes are smoking? Age is one variable. You can't say, well, I see. So if someone is only one year old, they smoke this much. And yes, I know we've all seen smoking babies on YouTube, but. Which we all laugh at, and then we should be horrified by. Um, 
But babies typically don't smoke. Or, you know, no one's... Well, so if you were 300 years old, you'd smoke thousands a day. No. So you can't go outside the range of things. I mean, it's, it's so tempting. It's so tempting because you have something that says this equals this. You've got to keep in mind what it actually says is this I predict that if I put these numbers together, here's the prediction I'd make. That's all it says. It's not saying that that... But you look at this. It's, 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 got, it's got X's and Y's and equals's and pluses. That sounds pretty ironclad to me. Like, it really looks that way. It feels that way to me. I mean, to me it even does. And I know that that's bullshit. That it's not, you know, it's a probabilistic statement you're making. And we'll talk next time about how to sort of test on that probabilistic statement. That's the first thing. But secondly, you're also... It's from a very limited set of data. Even if it's thousands of data points, you can't say that... Like I said, you can't, people are really kept to go beyond the range just because it says equals... Just, just because of pure interest. Though. Yeah. So the minimum salary for just anybody at the university using this formula would be A. Yes. Not anybody. This, this would be only for faculty on a certain pay grade on assistant professor. Yes. Yeah. That's what that would say. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that's probably roughly correct. What's the maximum? Uh, there is. There are maxima for all three different, four different pay grades for lecturer, assistant, associate, full professor. I offhand don't know what they are. Don't think I'm close to the maximum yet. I'm an associate, so I don't know which is the third highest one. What the highest full professor? I'm not sure if this is an average but it says 120. It says between 105 and 120k. For who? For associate professors. Here? Yes. It's more than 120. Where does it say that? Glassdoor. Uh, I, I can tell. I can tell you from. Personal experience. That's one thing I don't do. Yeah. Yeah, you can look out in the clips. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know exactly what it is. But it's not a whole lot more than that. I Assistant's probably 110 or something. Yeah, and full style 150. I think. But that's just a guess. I honestly don't know. I don't think I'm at the, I'm not at the, the ceiling yet. Which is good because I like getting raises. Yeah, it's just somewhere between yeah. 101 and 109. Other questions? I know because I just do my taxes, so I don't want to get less so. right. We'll stop this.
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for Dave, uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures from Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, for the column show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music; they're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>